Welcome to BDO Talks Arissa, a monthly podcast recorded live at BDO. Each month, we'll be talking best practices around all things Arissa, how to avoid common compliance issues, how to navigate the tricky ins and outs of Arissa's fiduciary provisions, and discussing our own experiences working for BDO's Arissa Services Group and the insights we share through the Arissa Center of Excellence. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Welcome back to BDO Talks Arissa. I'm Joanne Zopka. Thank you for joining us today. As we've discussed in the past, Secure 2.0 was signed into law on December 29th, 2022, and includes over 90 provisions impacting all types of retirement vehicles. Some provisions are mandatory, while other provisions are optional. Effective date for the provisions vary, with the majority of the provisions having an effective date between December 29th, 2022 and December 31st, 2025. Remember, I said majority of the provisions. We're going to spotlight the provisions of Secure 2.0 associated with employee stock ownership plans or ESOPs. Joining me today for our ESOP discussion is returning contributor Blake Head, BDO Capital Advisors Managing Director for ESOP Services, and making her first appearance on BDO Talks Arissa is Maria Thiel, Director at BDO Capital Advisors, also in ESOP Services. So welcome, Blake and Maria. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for having us, Joanne. So let's talk a little bit. What do you guys do for ESOP Services? Yeah, so me and Maria work with businesses and business owners across the country, helping first off understand what their motives are for some type of liquidity event and then you know really directing them and putting them in a place to go out and execute it most of the time we're focused on internal buyouts or succession plan management buyouts esop transactions other times we take a more holistic approach and partner with the m a division led by bob snape to not just push esop or management buyout but really come in and take a more holistic approach on hey what is the best strategic alternative for you to execute a transaction. And then, you know, if a client likes what we're offering and likes the path forward, you know, we get engaged to put the offering materials together um, to assist in negotiating with the trustee, the buyer, and also to help facilitate the financing. Nice. Okay. So Blake, the last time you joined me, uh, we had a whole discussion about like kind of ESOP 101. um, And that was well over a year ago. So What's been going on in the ESOP world? Any transactions, increased activity? What do you want to share with us? We've, as a team and also all of our kind of colleagues in the industry, have definitely seen an uptick in interest in ESOPs. I think last time we talked a little bit about ESGs becoming a lot more prominent in Mm -hmm. the conversation. You know, ESOPs play really, really well with the social and governance part. The other thing that I'm seeing is bigger companies are considering ESOP first maybe not as the only path, like we talked about doing the review of strategic alternatives, but but I think it is being seen as a more viable alternative than it was three or four years ago. And I think the reason for that is, first off, there's more capital out there um, from secondary sources of capital. So they like the way we structure our seller notes and they like the returns on that capital. We kind of modeled it after the private equity model. So almost weekly, we're having a call with a new fund that is interested in participating alongside our ESOP transactions. And that's really bridging the gap for, you know, we're always able to get fair market value in ESOP transaction. The trade-off is you're usually getting less cash at close. Now that we have different sources of capital coming in, that gap is bridged a little bit and 
you know, I think it is certainly creating a bigger interest in ESOPs. You've also got, you know, new foundations like Ownership Works, and you've got, you know, the head of KKR sitting on CBS News talking about their employee ownership model. And I think it's just getting a lot of publicity, employee ownership in general. And I think it's creating a lot of tailwinds for for our business and ESOPs in general. And we'll end up talking a little bit more about that, about one of the things that came out through the SECURED Act that's going to probably increase the visibility of ESOPs. You were mentioning, you know, a lot of extra cash and, and being around, depending on who you talk to and what day of the week. We may be in a recession. We may not be in a recession. Things may be good. With kind of the outlook of the market, do you still see that kind of increased activity in ESOPs you were just talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think a a little bit of instability in the market brings down valuations for sales to third parties, and I think it makes ESOP more attractive. I also think higher interest rates make people look towards ways to increase cash flow, and I think the option of being 100% S-corp-owned ESOP, not paying federal estate income tax, really makes it look a lot more attractive to other parties. I think a shift we are seeing is just because the higher interest rates, we're having to structure our transactions a little bit differently to pass bank covenants and to do transactions. Also, with higher interest rates, the tax on deferring under the installment sale of capital gains called 453A is making it a little bit more penal than it used to be to do an S-corp sale and not take the installment sale proceeds. So I think a trend we're going to see this year is more people converting to C-corp or doing C-corp deals, doing 1042 and potentially not 100% transactions where I'd say two years ago, most of the transactions we worked on were 100%, going from zero to 100%, and a lot of them were S-corps to um, not pay that income tax. Okay. Something to look forward to, right? None of us have the crystal ball, but it all sounds very exciting. All right. So as I previously mentioned, there are three provisions in Secure 2.0 that relate to ESOPs. I'm going to toss out all the technical terms, then you guys can help me kind of break it down into plain English as best as possible. Uh, We've got Section 114, Deferral of Tax for Certain Sales of Employer Stock to Employer Stock Ownership Plans Sponsored by S-Corps, and that is starting in 2028. Section 123, Certain Securities Treated as Publicly Traded in Case of Employee Stock Ownership Plans. And lastly, Section 346, Worker Owner Readiness and Knowledge, or the Worked Act. So it's kind of funny. There's an act within an act, but we'll get to that. So let's start with the first one, right? Um, section one, Section 114, a deferral of tax for certain sales. And this is really, Blake, you had just touched upon section like 1042 of the code. Um, this is really kind of leveling the playing field from some level between S-Corps and C-Corps. C-Corps for the longest time have been able to um, take advantage of deferring some of the uh, capital gains. Now it's coming into the S-Corp starting in 2028. So Maria, kind of walking on what Blake had said, what does this mean like for ESOPs? And what I'd also like to know is how long does it take for a sale to be completed? Sure. So just to kind of expand a little bit on the background that you gave on 1042, Uh, Prior to Secure 2.0, under Section 1042 of the tax code, an owner of a privately held C-corporation can sell their shares uh, of stock to an ESOP. And if the ESOP owns at least 30% of the company after the sale, 
the owner can elect to defer capital gains on the sale by reinvesting the proceeds in what's called qualified replacement property or QRP. So similar to if you think of like a 1031 exchange in real estate where you can sell one property and reinvest in a similar property. But for mm -hmm. a 1042 exchange, the replacement property is US stocks and bonds. And what's most often used for, for QRP is what's called a floating rate note. So if the QRP is held until the selling shareholder passes away, their estate can receive a step up in the cost basis of the QRP, which can effectively eliminate the capital gains tax completely. So electing 1042 on the sale to an ESOP can be a major tax benefit for a business owner and their family. So in the past, 1042 has only been available to C-corporation owners, um, which means the owners of an S-corporation have either not been able to take advantage of the strategy or would have to convert to C-corporation before selling to the ESOP. So Secure 2.0 amends 1042 in the tax code and allows owners of S-corporations to take advantage of the 1042 exchange. However, it's currently limited to a deferral of 10% of the gain instead of the 100% that C-corporations can take advantage of. And it also takes effect, as you mentioned, in 2028. So we're a little ways out from seeing the benefit of extending this opportunity to S-corporations, but it's certainly an exciting step in the right direction. Well, so as far as your question about, you know, how long does it take to, to accomplish a sale? Um, it really can vary, but, you know, some companies, it's their multiple year plan um, of eventually getting to the point of selling to an ESOP. If we are approached by a business owner that, you know, says, hey, I think I really want to do this. Let's complete the feasibility analysis and I want to hit go as soon as possible. Potentially that process can be, you know, as short as say four to six months. But um, we also have some companies that come to us and say, hey, I think this is our long-term plan maybe five or seven years down the road but i want to start the process now so that when i'm ready to um to move forward with the esap then you know i'm, I'm in a good position to get the, the sale that i've been looking to do okay no i i think that's uh that's great advice i mean actually i thought four to the six months was pretty quick but you guys deal with it i'm gonna call you guys the experts so the, just to kind of, you know, go into the, the provisions for the S corporation, um, the deferral of 10% of the gain instead of the 100% and being five years out, that might be, that might sound a little underwhelming at first, but I guess what we know is that the cost of adding this um, expansion to S corporations for 1042 was high in Congress's overall budget. Uh, so we're excited to see that this has been expanded to S corporations uh, in the code and hope to see it expanded to a 100% deferral in the future. Mm. Put it on the wish list. That's right. Yeah. Add it to the list of many. <laughs> um, all right. So the next provision I briefly mentioned was section 123, right? Certain securities traded as a publicly traded in case of employee stock ownership plan. All right. That That's a very kind of generic title for for what they're asking to be done um, and i do realize that this section may need some additional technical guidance but maria what is this going to be covering 
Sure, Joanne, thanks. Like you said, uh, I'll touch on this amendment briefly because it appears that it applies to a smaller subset of employee-owned companies, so it might not have quite as much of a broad application as some of the other recent changes. But Secure 2.0 amends Section 401A35 of the code, which is the diversification code, and it expands the definition of what is considered a publicly traded security. So this again takes effect in 2028 and states that an employer security will be treated as publicly traded for diversification purposes if it meets certain requirements that are outlined in the amendment. So for a bit of background, ESOPs can own stock in either a privately held business or a publicly traded company. For privately held stock, ESOPs require an annual valuation to be prepared by an independent appraiser at least annually. So it appears that this provision has to do with whether certain companies need to have this full independent valuation of the stock. Um, the amendment was most likely created for companies that have an ESOP as part of their cap table, but also have an unlisted, thinly traded market for their stock. So the amendment is saying that if shares have adequate trading volume in the market that they are traded on and meeting the requirements listed in the bill, the corporation could avoid having that formal annual valuation for the ESOP, which would make it easier for these companies to offer and administer these. So more research and more to come on you know, the intent of this change, but I think um, you know, we, we need to look into more of, to really understand the impact that this change will have. Yeah, and what I find interesting with this provision is, again, as, as we mentioned, this doesn't take in, uh, into go into effect until 2028. So there is that lead up time where you can get the additional information and the technical guidance that we need. I know for some of the other provisions that are going to impact defined contribution plans, like a 401k and a 403b plan, um, we're kind of scrambling the service providers, those charged with governor's plan sponsors that, hey, some of these provisions have to be implemented, but we still need technical guidance. So it's nice to see that you do have you know, there's some lag time to uh, to get everything right with that provision. This right. this next one is what I'm I'm really happy about, and and I audit some ESOPs, but I obviously don't do as much as you guys do with um, the services that you provide. But uh, the Work Act, right? Worker ownership readiness and knowledge. Um, this is fantastic, right? It's going to require the DOL to establish an employee ownership initiative to promote employee ownership and employee participation in business decision making. Um, and there's a lot of things going on with the funding, right? It's going to start at $4 million, um, in late in October of 2024. Um, what I've read, it's going to increase to $16 million by the fiscal year uh, 2029. And, um, you know, if it's still popular after that, um, Congress will have to create a new appropriation to keep the program going. But you're talking right there for 16, that's at least 20 million. Um, I think it's excellent that it can go to existing state programs or create new ones. Um, and I love the fact that it's a work with it's an act within an act. But um, what are you guys kind of hearing since you're out there dealing with other ESOP associations? What's the feeling about this new work act? Yeah, so exactly what you said, you know, it's it's spotted $50 million, which might seem like a drop in the bucket. You know, this work act was part of the the total omnibus spending act of 1.7 trillion. So this is really a very, very small part of that, but it is a meaningful amount um, for the ESOP community to be able to promote 
employee ownership at the state and local level. So as you said, the funds can be used for a variety of things and can go to either existing programs or be used to create new initiatives. Things that it can be used for, like educating business owners about uh, employee ownership as a business transition strategy and helping to pay for things like feasibility studies, um, providing materials and outreach, uh, and creating networks locally of professionals and employee-owned companies to kind of get the word out about ESOPs and other employee ownership structures. Yeah, so Joanne, there's been, I mean, this is great. This is a federal bill and it, it's going to be tremendous for employee ownership and visibility. But there's also just a bunch of states that are strongly promoting ESOPs as well. Like we did two transactions in Colorado last year where, you know, there's government funds available. You have to apply and be approved to, you know, pay up to $100,000 to promote employee ownership to service providers. Uh, we're seeing that in other states. I think, Maria, you mentioned Tennessee is trying to do something very similar. There's also other, there's great existing organizations like NCEO, the ESOP Association, but there's another new one called um, the Employee Ownership Expansion Network. I mean, they're, they're building state centers and really doing what they can to promote employee ownership. So I just think all of these things we're talking about today is really driving the interest in ESOPs. And I think we're in a really good position to you know, continue that push and hopefully to kind of change the narrative on what retirement benefits look like in the future, right? I mean, we went from DB to traditional DCs to to maybe more of an ownership, employee ownership model. It is kind of interesting to watch watch happen. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, here in Tennessee, we have a relatively new state center, but they've already made some really exciting progress, like introducing legislation at the state level to help cover the cost of, of converting to employee ownership. So I think there's similar legislation in other states like uh, California, Pennsylvania, and I think Vermont is another one that has similar legislation being introduced at this time. No, that's fantastic. Now, I have a question for, and either one of you can answer this. I And I hate to ask a question that I don't know the answer to, but as we're talking about all the states, um, do you know, is there at least one ESOP set up in each of the states within the U.S.? I don't know, but I have a strong guess that yes, there is. Yes, there is. So I, I don't know for a fact, but I would be willing to bet a lot of money that the answer to that is yes. So we've we've done transactions in like 27 states. Oh, wow. So there, we haven't finished every state, obviously, you know, roughly over half. But, you know, I mean, we're just a small player in the big ESOP world. So. And what I found um, was interesting, right, if, if the state doesn't apply for the funds, there's actually like another provision within the act that non-for-profits can. So, I mean, while the states can be promoting it, there also could be non-for-profits that are out there, you know, wanting to take up this agenda. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So the states can contract out the work or they mm -hmm. can create programs in-house. And then if the state doesn't apply for the funds, then in the following fiscal year, nonprofits can apply for the funds. Um, and then part of it also is, and Blake, you had talked about this with regards to valuations. It's also going to direct the DOL to develop ESOP valuation standards. Um, and I know someone that comes in and we're auditing and we're looking at the valuations that have been done. Um, <laughs> I would love to see what that's going to look like, acceptable standards and procedures to establish good faith, fair market values for shares of a business to be acquired by an ESOP. Um, hopefully that will... Um, make those valuation reports much easier to read and understand. 
Unfortunately, there's no time frame on when those uh, standards are going to be developed, but at least it's on the radar. That's the best that we can do. Yes, and we'll be definitely watching as that develops. You know, the industry has been operating on proposed legislation that was drafted back in the 1980s. Um, so, you know, the ESOP community has been seeking this more formal guidance from the Department of Labor for many years. So we'll certainly, you know, be hopeful that this will bring more certainty to the valuation process and benefit not just employee owners, but also everyone selling shareholders and everyone involved in the ESOP transaction. Well, guys, I want to thank you both for joining me today. And as we spotlight ESOPs, um, within Secure 2.0. Um, you're both very involved in the ESOP world. Um, anything anything that you guys have going on in the next couple of weeks, months, ESOP related that you want to share? The last thing that I would just like to share is um, an effort from the, the ESOP Association and the ESOP companies and professionals that have uh, worked really hard to accomplish all of that's been outlined, you know, in this podcast. Um, the ESOP Association hosts an advocacy day every year in May, where members of the association come together in Washington and go visit with our legislators to discuss all of, you know, all of these things that we've been talking about on this episode. So I would encourage anyone that's in the ESOP community to participate in this event at least once if you have the opportunity. It's certainly, you know, really informational and interesting to be part of that process. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. And I actually will be attending uh, the Pennsylvania Society of ESOPs, their annual meeting upcoming. So um, I'm happy to share that information with you guys when I get back. Um, as always, everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. Secure 2.0 is going to keep everyone busy for years to come, especially we just heard some of these provisions don't start until 2028. Um, right? It's going to keep everyone busy from the regulatory agencies to plan sponsors and those charged with governance to service providers. Um, we're going to be hosting another Secure 2.0 webinar on March 30th to address your questions you may have on Secure 2.0. Um, you can submit your questions in advance to BDO Talksarissa at BDO.com. Um, for more information on topics related to retirement and HR trends, please check out BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence on BDO.com. And thanks once again for joining us. Investment banking products and services within the United States are offered exclusively through BDO Capital Advisors, LLC, a separate legal entity and affiliated company of BDO USA, LLP, a Delaware limited liability partnership and national professional services firm. For more information, visit BDOCAP.com. Certain services may not be available to attest clients under the rules and regulations of public accounting. BDO Capital Advisors, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Thank you for listening to BDO Talks ERISA. Past episodes and information about how to join us for our next live recordings are available at BDO.com slash BDO Talks ERISA. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence and the services we provide, visit BDO.com slash ERISA.